Welcome to the Awesomers.com podcast. If you love to learn, and if you're motivated to expand your mind, and heck, if you desire to break through those traditional paradigms and find your own version of success, you are in the right place. Awesomers around the world are on a journey to improve their lives and the lives of those around them. We believe in paying it forward, and we fundamentally try to live up to the great Zig Ziglar quote, where he said, you can have everything in your life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. It doesn't matter where you came from, it only matters where you're going. My name is Steve Simonson, and I hope you will join me on this awesomer journey. If you're launching a new product manufactured in China, you will need professional, high-resolution, Amazon-ready photographs. Because Simo Global has a team of professionals in China, you will oftentimes receive your listings photographs before your product even leaves the country. This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. This is Awesomers episode number 11. And as always, if you would like to see the show notes and details, we encourage you to go to awesomers.com slash 11. Uh, that's awesomers.com slash 11. And you'll find all the links and show notes and so forth uh, there to help you navigate this episode and keep track of it without having to take notes as you go through. Perhaps you're driving or flying or otherwise engaged. Don't take the notes. We'll take the notes for you. Awesomers.com slash 11 is how you find that stuff. Now, today, my special guest is Jeff Cohen, and he spent the past 15 years helping grow e-commerce businesses from small startups to multi-million dollar companies. In fact, he was employee number four at Seller Labs and was instrumental in transitioning the company from selling physical products to software. Recognized internationally as an Amazon expert, Jeff speaks at conferences all around the world. Prior to sell, uh, joining Seller Labs, he was the CEO of CampusBooks.com, and they put together a very comprehensive SaaS-based program that uh, helped put partners together with Campus Books, and it was a very successful endeavor indeed. His work led to more than $10 million in new sales and increased profit margins. And prior to that, uh, Jeff was the founder and general manager for Textbooks.com and was responsible for the company's aggressive expansion from $12 million in revenue to $100 million while maintaining the exact same sales team. Now imagine that, nearly 10 times the growth with the same sales team. This guy knows what's up. I'm a big fan of Jeff's and have seen him at many conferences around uh, the world and over the years, and he is definitely somebody that Awesomers should pay special and close attention to. Welcome back, Awesomers. Here we go again. That's Steve Simonson, and today my special guest is Jeff Cohen. Jeff, how are you? Doing great, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, Jeff is uh, already a legend in kind of the Amazon ecosystem. Uh, uh, Between Jeff and his uh, comrades at uh, Seller Labs, they have put together a massive impact uh, in terms of all the different software offerings they have, and I hope to learn more about that today. Uh, Let me ask you this, Jeff. Uh, Maybe you can give me a quick summary of where you're living right now, and then in, in broad strokes, kind of what you and your company does. Yeah, so um, I'm in Chicago, Illinois, um, and Seller Labs is based out of Athens, Georgia. Seller Labs is a software company for sellers and brands on the Amazon um, ecosystem. Yeah, now uh, Seller Labs, as I recall, has a number of different products. One of the ones that I have recommended for years is called Feedback Genius. This is where um, sellers can can opt in or, or to, can utilize that service to, to get uh, feedback uh, from their customers and so forth. What other types of products do you guys have? 
Yeah, so Seller Labs kind of focuses on uh, three main areas of the Amazon ecosystem. Um, reputation management, which is Feedback Genius. Um, Amazon, uh, Amazon Advertising Management, which is our tool Ignite. And Listing Optimization uh, Management, which is our tool Scope. We wrap all of those around the idea that you really need data, right? Uh, in any business that you run, you need, you need to be making data-first decisions. And so our quantified tool is the, uh, is the data aspect of, of all of that that helps you make the decisions of what to do in your business. Gotcha. Well, I tell you, um, any customers know that uh, once you gain experience, uh, data is much better as a benchmark for data deci- for decision making than is your gut. <laughs> uh, yeah. So and I think times- that's I think that's something that's it, it's it's easy to say, but it's hard to put into practice, right? Because as um, I mean, you and I have been sellers on the Amazon system for a number of years, and there's so much data that we actually become um, immu- like paralyzed by some of the data that comes to us. And uh, I think it's a matter of, you know, we have a saying in our company, which is that uh, you'll never have enough data to make the right decision. So you can only, you have to use the data that you have to make the best decision that you can make understanding that as the data changes, you may have to change your decision. Yeah, I just love it because it's relatively agnostic, right? It's not about, oh, well, Joe really thought this or uh, Sally thought that. It's like the data told us this. It either worked or it didn't work because the data is now showing, you know, whatever this new uh, outcome is. And and we make decisions based on numbers. That's a very uh, – It takes the emotion out. Yeah, boy, it's a better way to make decisions. I mean, how many how many sellers have you worked with – that will keep telling you that a product is going to work and you look at all the numbers and the numbers say that they should have dumped that product months ago, but they don't realize that they're, they're caught up with the capital and all these other things that the product is doing that's hurting them because they're emotionally tied to the idea that it's supposed to be a good product, right? Boy, it is, it's a lot, number one. And I, I regularly counsel people that we're not raising children here. The, these are not babies. We're not little right. baby products that we're going to try to send to college and have you know, little grandbaby products. They're just <laughs> products. And when they don't work, you got to cut them and move on to the next one. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Failing fast is definitely something that customers should be uh, in the business of. So very good advice. Uh, so let me ask you this. Um, before we kind of jump into the um, your, your origin story, how did the company Seller Labs get started? Yeah, so uh, it's kind of a fun story to tell, especially for people that have been around in the space. So back in uh, back in the 2012 time period, um, there was uh, most of the selling on Amazon was was resellers of product, and so um, we actually were going to USPS auction to acquire products. Uh, you'd go to this big warehouse in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, all the stuff that fell off the truck was uh, was at the USPS auction. And we were big in the book business back then. So we were buying a lot of books, um, mixed media, things like that. But we bought uh, Gaylords of, uh, of fine jewelry, um, gold bars, Legos, all different kinds of stuff. We we're running a warehouse of about, it started like everybody started in the basement, 1000, 2000, 5000, up to a 15,000 square foot warehouse. Um, we started kind of dabbling into wholesale. We had some wholesale accounts selling blenders and some other products on Amazon. Um, started working with uh, some wholesalers with exclusivity, getting into kind of owning our own brands. Um, all throughout all of this, we were developing software to run our own business. 
uh, that's really where Feedback Genius was born. Um, kind of realized in 2014 that we really liked the software side of the space. It, it wasn't nearly as competitive as it is now. Um, and kind of transformed the company in 2014 to really be a software-based company, not a seller-based company. Shut, shut down our warehouse. Some of us still kind of sell on the side, but it's not our primary business. Um, and really focused hard on 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 how we can uh, develop great software that helps solve people's problems. Well, and you guys have definitely done that. Uh, you know, you have a, a number of people working in the organization, lots of, uh, you know, good history in terms of delivering uh, the goods to the people uh, in terms of, you know, not just the data piece, but really good customer service. You, not only you guys make good software, but you deliver a good customer service behind it, which is yeah. uh, always something that deserves to be called out. I've thank you. I appreciate that. I I've always as a as as a, a, a an owner in the business. I've always believed that people do business with people they like. Then you do businesses with companies that you like. Then you do businesses with products that you like. And so it's it's important to us as a as an organization. We've always for little things like we've always ran our customer support out of our office in Athens. We've never outsourced that. We've never brought it overseas. Uh, we always made ourselves available. People used to laugh because they would call up customer support and I'd be like, hey, this is Jeff. And they're like, Jeff Cohen? I'd be like, yeah. And they're like, do you answer the support lines? I'm like, yeah, no one's here. I, I Phone rang. I need to answer it. But the stuff that you learn from people when they call customer support is amazing. So the question is, is like, what as a company can we do with all that knowledge that we gain? How can we put that into our processes to make our products better? Well, it definitely shows. And that's a lesson for anybody out there who has any sort of customer service organization. The amount of information coming in from your customers directly to your service people is pure gold. Honestly, you yeah. can learn so many things about what's going right, what's going wrong, where to lean into something good or where to you know, prevent or eliminate something bad. Yet often we look at customer service as kind of like somebody else's rounding, you know, problem. You know, ah, we're we're done with all this. Uh, just just make it go away. Don't don't give me well, problems. Let's also take that to uh, product reviews, right? I mean, we're in the product review business. It's one of the softwares that we sell. But like the the number of people who say, "I got a bad re I got a bad review," that that reviewer is wrong. Um, as opposed to, I got a bad review. Oh my God, I might have an issue with my product. <laughs> you know, when, when you get, when you get one review that, that the quality isn't good. Okay. Maybe the, maybe that's a bad reviewer. When you, when you start getting two or three reviews that say the quality of this product isn't good, maybe you don't have a good quality product. Boy, um, and, and, and so you have to listen to the reviews. You, you, you need to not only listen to your reviews, you need to listen to your competitors' reviews. When we analyze, there's lots of sites that review software companies. And so we analyze those to see what do they like and not like about other software companies. And that helps us kind of figure out what our customers are looking for out of us. One of the best competitive analysis you can do is to look at your competitors, um, read the reviews, and figure out how to be better than that. And boy, I tell you, some of our best lessons have come from review feedback. Uh, we had a product that had a 25% return rate. And we're like, we don't understand. This is a very expensive keyboard. It's an electronic component. Um, and it's built really well. And it turned out that inside the package, the instruction had the wrong model number. It's like iPad 1 or iPad whatever instead of the right one, instead of just saying works on any iPad. 
and people would just see that they would read the instructions, they would see it immediately. It wasn't their model number, and they would just send it back. And something that small it turned out it wasn't a quality issue, but it certainly was our issue. We didn't have our documentation in, in a row. And without kind of diving into those negative reviews, we could have gone on forever like that. Right. And 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 most people would have looked at it and just said, Oh, what's wrong with these people? As opposed to looking at it and saying, What can I what can I do it? You know? Yeah. I tell you, at the end of the day, if if a true customer is having a problem, it's our problem. As the business owner, product owner, software developer, it's our problem. The the customers are are innocent and that you know we are supposed to make their lives better. So Yeah, and it might be that you need better QA. It might need be that you need to send out an email that says, Hey, our up our our insert was wrong. It works on the newest iPads. There's just it might be that you just need to update your product listing. Um, you know, uh, so I think like it's it's not it's it's a matter of taking the information, digesting it, and then using that to make improvements. And and whether that's a customer service team on a on on a software company like ours whether that's um, reviews for your products or whether that's your wife telling you something, um, it's just a good lesson to be, to be, to be, uh, to learn and to, and to implement into your daily life. All right. Well, we're going to have to pump the brakes on taking All right. wives. Hang on. A yes. <laughs> Took it to a new level. Yeah, boy. Oh boy. Uh, we're going to have a lot of feedback on that one, Jeff. No, just kidding. Uh, all right. I tell you what, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back and talk about Jeff's uh, origin story. Be right back. Empowering. The name says it all. Connecting e-commerce entrepreneurs with great people, ideas, systems, and the services needed to stay business dynamic and to grow. Empowery is a network, a cooperative venture of tools and resources to make you better at what you do, because we love what you do. We are you. Visit Empowery.com to learn more. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, Jeff, we are back here at Awesomers and uh, loving having you on the show. It's really great to see you. And I, I've followed your work and, and your company for some time. So it's, it's fun to be able to do this one-on-one with you. Um, let's start out, as I like to do, with kind of where you began, literally, where were you born? Yeah, so um, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. I uh, grew up, uh, I didn't even realize it, I grew up a Cardinals fan. Wearing the colors. That's right. That's right. It's dangerous up here in Chicago to be wearing this, but... Uh, yeah, grew grew up in St. Louis. Um, went to went to college outside of St. Louis at University of Missouri. Kind of always been a Midwest boy. Um, moved to Chicago after college. Met my wife. Uh, she's a physician, so that actually took us back to Missouri for her residency. Ended up in Milwaukee. Came back to Chicago. So kind of bounced all around this upper Midwest area. Yeah, definitely. Midwest is the home. Uh, how about your parents? What kind of work were they in? So my mom was a teacher and uh, really, a, you know, a mother, um, a stay-at-home mom. Um, one of the one of the best jobs you can have. And uh, my dad was in uh, residential construction. I like to say he was uh, e- he was uh, economically retired uh, from the uh, from the housing bust. Um, he just he he was just older when all that happened. He just said, you know what, enough's enough. Oh, man. Well, I tell you, uh, having many construction-related businesses and companies over time, including online stuff, uh, that that uh, two, 2008 meltdown or whatever number you want to put on it was uh, epic and something uh, that it was, was uh, not normal. And It'll uh, definitely be taught in, uh, in, 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 in books at some point in time, right? Or probably is now. Doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. It's uh, just some of the craziness that went on uh, is, is really remarkable. But it, it definitely took a lot of... Uh, uh, jobs off the table, but it also took a lot of uh, wealth off the table, at least for the first, you know, for that 
next five, uh, seven year period. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of it's recovered by this point, but, uh, and on a more stable basis, in my opinion, how about, uh, any siblings, uh, for you? Yeah, I have one brother. Um, he's, uh, he's out of Atlanta. He, uh, he's a, he's a assistant school principal. I'll give you an interesting fact about him. My mom oh. likes when I share this. So okay, my good. brother uh, grew up with Tourette syndrome. Uh -huh. Um, so he makes noises and ticks that he can't control. Uh, he wrote a book about his life that, uh, that was featured on, uh, Oprah and, uh, people magazine and was turned into a, a hallmark movie called front of the class. So, uh, if you ever want to learn more about my life, it's, it is literally an open book and my brother wrote it. Ah, I like that. Uh, and yeah. is the book also called uh, front of the class? Yeah, the book and the movie were both called Front of the Class. I think Front of the Class is now on Netflix. It, it, it might be on either Prime or Netflix um, that you can get it. Very interesting. And did yeah. you get your IMDb credit for the Hallmark movie? or? So, so uh, there are characters that play me, um, but, but I don't think I have my own IMDb credit. Yeah. Ah, that's a shame. All right. Well, that's okay. There's still time. Um, all right. It, just for everybody uh, paying attention out there, we will uh, put those in the show notes. We'll link to the book and the movie if we can find it there. It's a tearjerker. It was a Hallmark movie. So that should just give you a sense. It's a, it's a tearjerker and it'll make you cry. I did the chick flick math on the Hallmark channel there. Uh, but uh, I still love, uh, you know, understanding and seeing kind of those journeys because uh, adversity uh, makes people better. So right. Uh, and how about your first uh, job out of the university? Uh, what was your first quote unquote proper job? Yeah, my first job was uh, I was the head of um, I, I guess I was technically I was the only person in marketing for a wholesale distributor of specialty component parts. So I worked for a, uh, a, a master distributor, meaning that they represented 200 different product lines to uh, original equipment manufacturers. And um, they didn't really have a marketing department back in back in the day. And I was kind of the start of their marketing department. It's a fascinating uh, specialty. So a lot of people don't realize just how many distribution companies there are, especially in the Midwest. Yeah, uh, there's a lot. I mean, the, these guys, the way I always described it was if you took your washing machine and your washing machine or your refrigerator blew up, all the little pieces um, that would be laying all over the place are the specialty parts that hold it together. That's what we sold. Yeah, yeah. Again, the the um, you know kind of alternative economy that exists at the wholesale level with all of these components and and weird little parts that you you never really think about. It's a really big business. Well, it was a it was a large part of the uh, just in time just in time inventory movement. Right? Was uh, the manufacturers didn't want to hold all of this inventory. Um, and so, you know, they'd use companies like ours where we would ship it out, you know, every Monday, they would get their parts that they need, you know, for the week. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it worked out nice. It, it was a nice business. Um, the owner did very well. He ended up selling it a couple of years ago. Uh, I still keep in touch with him, you know, all these years later. Um, I interned for him while I was in college. Um, you know, everything's, everything's kind of who, you know, as much as what, you know, uh, that was a clear example of, you know, my mom was at lunch, met a guy, um, who gave me an internship, which led to my first job. So wow. yeah. <laughs> Talk about networking, everybody. That's a good example. Yeah. Uh, all right. And so, so thinking about that original first kind of internship that turned into a job and then to kind of where you are today, you know, with you and your colleagues kind of running this company and helping in so many entrepreneurs, literally, you know, thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs, uh, 
uh, globally all the time. Was there a particular defining moment or set of moments that put you on this road? Yeah, I, you know, when you look back at your life uh, retrospectively, uh, you can you can sometimes find them. They, they may not have made sense when it happened, but um, clearly the defining moment for the road that I'm on today was my wife um, and her residency. So when she started her residency, um, w- when we were dating, she had to apply for residency. So if you're not sure how residency works, it's, it's this really interesting process when you're in medical school. Um, you basically apply for residencies and they're interviewing you. And then you put down on a sheet of paper all the people and ranking order um, of, the, of the hospitals that you wanna go to and the hospitals create a ranking order. And then a computer system does what's called a match and says, you are gonna go to this hospital for this residency. Um, so you have a little bit of say over it, but not a lot. And when my wife was looking at that, I was like, well, if we have to move somewhere for a few years, why don't you put down University of Missouri? It's where I went to school. It'll be kind of fun, kind of fun for me to go back to my alma mater as, as an adult with, with actually having money to pay for things. And, uh, and that happened to be where she got her um, residency. And when I got there, um, I didn't have a job. And um, I was applying for a job working for a wholesale textbook distributor and, um, and, and, and was hired as the head of their marketing department and really was a start of an introduction into this world of online selling because part, um, part of the responsibilities was to work with the team that managed the Amazon and eBay um, marketing channel or sales channel. So if I really trace back my like history in e-commerce, it, it, it dates back to like 2005 um, when I was working with the team selling uh, books and textbooks on, on eBay and on Amazon. Um, I think in 2006, I attended my first IRCE trade show. Uh, in 2007, I started a retail website for the wholesale company called textbooks.com. And, um, and, and, and a year later, I was considered an expert um, in the space of e-commerce because of, of what I had done the previous two years. Um, and I, nothing I'd ever thought about or dreamed about or thought that's something I want to do uh, prior to that point. So I kind of made the best of what I had at, at that point in time um, and you know turned it into something that has become a, a real passion and, and uh, driver for for what I do today. Yeah, no doubt about that. So uh, for those keeping score at home, the IRCE is the Internet Retailer uh, Annual Conference that they put on, yeah, typically in Chicago uh, every June. Is that? Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, yep. Yeah. So uh, you know, not for nothing, one of the one of the companies that I uh, previously uh, started and and then uh, exited, uh, we we were on the internet top, you know, the internet retailer top 500 three years in a row, which is kind of very tough to do to be a uh, consecutive guy yep. in fast growth and rankings. But the internet retailer magazine, if people are not already subscribed to it, I highly recommend it for more of a broad vision of what e-commerce is about versus just the Amazon ecosystem or uh, just eBay or Etsy or what have you. The, it's, yeah. it's a broad range, wouldn't you say? Yeah, they do some good in-depth articles, a lot of good statistics of kind of what's happening in the omni-channel, multi-channel uh, type of world. Um, give you a little bit of, like you said, a, a little bit of breath. If you're looking for breath outside of a particular subsect of the industry, it's a, it's a great uh, it's a great kind of step uh, 
a great basis to read from. Yeah, for me, I always like to know, I show up at conferences and I'll talk to somebody and they only have their own website. It's not some you know platform, it's just their own site. Maybe it's Magento or something like that, but they're really controlling it themselves. And they're doing 50 to $100 million a year on that. And they, they don't have any idea how much business is happening on Amazon. And then I'll yep. talk to a guy who's doing you know anywhere from one to 45 or $50 million on Amazon. And they're like, there's no way you can run your own website and make sales. Right? Yeah. Talk to somebody else and they're just uh, the eBay guy or the, the Rakuten guy or whatever. And everybody kind of gets into their own little zone and that's fine. But it's a broad, big world out there. And internet retailer is a good way to get a glimpse of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's fun. Uh, all the way back. Unplanned plug. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so, uh, how about uh, is there uh, as you've kind of been on this journey, is there a big lesson that really kind of uh, strikes home for you that you care to share? Probably the, the, there's two things that I think have kind of defined where I'm at today. Um, one is when I told my wife I needed to get on the road more. Um, that really changed kind of my business, it changed myself and everything. Um, I really believed at that point in time that face-to-face -face conversations and communications would, would lead to something better um, for, for my business. Um, and I kind of took this whole new attitude where like, I just said yes. And so a, a lot of people joke with me like, oh, you're everywhere. I see you everywhere. Well, the reason I'm everywhere is because I say yes to everything and I can, I can make a one day trip extremely worthwhile. Um, I'll give you an example. A friend of mine called me up and said, Hey, do you want to go to dinner on Monday night? I have a couple people that I think you'd love to meet. Never asked who those people were. Um, just thought, okay, that'd be great. I show up to dinner. I'm sitting out at dinner with um, Clayt, Clayt Mask, who's the CEO of Infusionsoft. And um, Perry Marshall, who is considered like the godfather of Google AdWords, had one of the most phenomenal dinner conversations. Um, don't know where it will go in the long run, but had an opportunity to meet two people that if I had said no, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to meet. And so I think that um, putting myself out there, um, putting myself on the road, exposing myself has, has allowed me to, to get to my second point of this, which is always be looking to level up. Um, how, what are you doing to get yourself, your business um, to the next level? That doesn't mean you have to ignore the people that are below you. Um, you actually need them because they might be leveling up higher than you or faster than you. But what are you doing to surround yourself with, um, with people who are, who are adding positivity to your life, uh, with people who are helping you grow as much as you're helping them grow? Um, and what are you doing to ultimately just to level up in your life and in your business? And um, if you're complacent with what you're doing, then you're going to get passed up. And so my previous business that I ran, which was in the textbook business, it was in the book price comparison business. Um, we were very complacent in what we did. We made a lot of money. We made a lot of money. And we were complacent in what we did. The founder was constantly traveling. He was you know, spending months overseas. Um, we were having meetings maybe once or twice a year. I was making really good money. And so I wasn't just motivated to like do things. Um, the attitude we've taken since we started Seller Labs is that we constantly have people nipping on our heels. We constantly need to be doing better. 
We need to be creating better software. We need to be doing better for the community. So we're constantly looking to level up our business. Um, and it's shown by the growth that we've had um, over those years. And so now we're kind of sitting at the top with people nipping at our heels, but it's harder for them to catch us because we're constantly moving ahead of where they're trying to get as opposed to being complacent with what we're doing and watching people pass us by. Very, very important lessons. And there's uh, so many examples that we could you know, give that reinforce uh, that lesson. Uh, you know, a, a few of them in there that I, I would parse out is the idea of continuous improvement, right? You cannot sit static and just expect that the world will stay the way it is. It's dynamic. And what we used to say in one of our organizations that, you know, somewhere someone out there is practicing and when they meet you on the field, they will beat you. And so you better get back to practicing and stop uh, doing victory laps. I don't mind a victory lap occasionally, but you can't just constantly run victory laps. Yeah, you got it. You need to stop and you you need to stop and celebrate the wins. You absolutely need to stop and celebrate the wins. And then you need to and then you need to get back in the office the next day and ask yourself, now what can I do to get more, to take it to the next level? Yeah. And again, when that lens is always through, how do you improve the customer experience? How do you deliver overwhelming value? You're on the right path. Uh, and the, you know, the second piece of that is the the concept. Everybody says that the trite saying of, you know, your network is your net worth or whatever, but it's absolutely true, right? That the more people that are around you, the more relationships that you have, um, they will help you to grow. And everybody pushes each other to grow when you're around that positive, you know, forward mentality. I, I Very, very good lessons. Um, so you strike me as a very optimistic guy, Jeff. Uh, no question, every time we've met in person, you're always, you know, outgoing and, and things are always, uh, you know, looking up. But has there ever been a time that, you know, you were really challenged or really had a setback that you're like, man, I just don't know if I want to keep doing this or, you know, not the sense of total giving up, but just like, I don't know if it's worth it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I almost want to say that um, I feel that on a regular basis, um, not like in a, in a negative sense, but in a positive sense, right? Um, I think the failures are what drive us to the deeper level of success. Um, you know, I'll go back to like one of the early lessons I learned in, in my first internship while I was in college, I, I was, I was doing a mail merge. And for the people that are younger, that's when you used to have to use Excel to merge your addresses into, um, into, into word to make printing labels. Um, and I did a, a mail merge. I mailed out a, a letter to like 2000 customers and, um, about three days later, um, I had somebody in the office say, Hey, did you mail these out? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, um, you didn't print them on company stationery, and you put the CEO's name on it, but you never signed the actual letter. And she goes, don't tell Doug, he's going to get really mad. Doug was the owner. Um, and I went back to my desk and I felt horrible, right? I felt horrible. Like I had spent so much time. I thought I had done it right. And like, I had these two major screw ups and now I'm being told, don't go admit that you screwed up. And I, I went, I went, I dug into this deeper and I decided internally, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. That's not what I want to do. So I went up to Doug's office and I said, Doug, I need to tell you, I need to tell you that I screwed up. Um, and here's what I did. And he looked at me and he pulled an envelope out of his desk and 
he had that envelope, not the same envelope, but he had another one. And he goes, I already know what you did. I wanted to see if you were going to bring it to me. He goes, by the way, you'll never get in trouble for admitting that you made a mistake. But if you try to hide something like this from me, I'm going to fire you. And I said, thank you. I appreciate that. And I walked out of the office and I realized that I just learned this like valuable lesson that like I was down in the dumps. I was feeling bad. I, I, I probably could have like quit, right? Like I just, I thought I was worthless, um, but I turned it into a positive. And as I look at my career and I look back at, at all the accomplishments that I've had, I clearly couldn't get there without the failures I had along the way. My first product that I brought to Amazon, a total disaster. I broke every rule that you were supposed to have in picking a product to sell on Amazon. And when it came down to it, I ended up liquidating the product. I probably lost a couple of grand, you know, all in all. But when I brought my next product, I was that much more knowledgeable and I didn't quit because I wanted to actually prove that I could do it and prove that I could do it successfully. And now I'm not saying every product I bring is a success, but I now have learned so much more because I think one of the things that we, one of the challenges that we have is that when we listen to people, whether it be you, whether it be me, whether it be amazing.com, whoever it is that we're getting our knowledge from, we want them to draw everything out for us. We want them to tell us everything that we're supposed to do, when we're supposed to do it, and what's supposed to happen. But the reality is that that's not what drives success. What drives success is being able to take that knowledge, put it into yourself, and then come out with your own process that's going to help you be successful. Um, heard a speaker um, who talked about NCAA coaches and that uh, the proper the, the NCAA coaches that are most likely to win and win champions are the ones who have three or more mentors along the way. You can't just become a coach without having other coaches and other methodologies to be basing off of. You can't just become successful in what you're doing by figuring it all out on your own. So if you use mentors, you use coaches, but you don't just take what they say as gold. You take what they say as gold, but it's not gospel. And you actually use it. And then as the world tells you that something different needs to occur, you listen to that and you adapt and you change and you keep moving forward. And so ultimately, that's what I think um, drives me on a daily basis because I want failures because failures help me succeed that much better. Without a doubt, the the intellectual capital that we get to you know put in the bank every time we learn something, and you know whether it's a product failure or you know a, a bad decision or whatever it is, it doesn't really matter as long as you're learning something from it. Yeah. And I I tell you that you know I really do think it's a point worth hammering home. This idea that you know our our instinct we're all wired to say somebody just give me the you know steps one through ten how I do this thing. And that's fine, you know, as you find those things, they're, they're good, instructive, and directional. But at the end of the day, everybody's got to have their own kind of little tweaks to it. And they're all, they, have to, they have to think for themselves at the end of the day. And that, that evolution from taking it from, here's this framework, you know, ABC frameworks, and now I've developed my own, such a critical thing. That's a Absolutely. leap in learning. Yeah, yeah. very good point. Uh, Jeff, how about... Um, how about one of those days when a victory lap was worthwhile? Uh, do you remember one of your best day in the uh, in your professional life so far? Um, you know, my best day. I, I don't know about my best day. I, I like to take victory laps on a regular basis. Um, 
last Friday was definitely a high five. Go get a go get a nice glass glass of scotch moment. Um, Seller Labs has been working on um, building our ad management tool to work not just for individual sellers, but to work for agencies who manage other people's ads. And um, and we had had a client that we had been working with pretty much since December who had been giving us a whole bunch of, this is what we need to make this tool work for us. This is what we need to make this tool work for us. And uh, Friday was the day that they finally signed off on everything, said that we've delivered everything that they need so that they can start putting their clients onto our system. And, um, and that was a, you know, because of, I mean, if I look back, like if I really look back, that relationship actually started um, at Prosper two and a half years ago. Nice. And through cultivation over time, that led to a, a, a de- the dinner led to a friendship, which led to exploration into international um, growth of, of our business in, in China, which led to eventually um, us building out a tool that works for their agency and other agencies. Um, and so it was like this huge victory lap of not just like the contract being fulfilled because that was awesome in its own right. It was also this victory lap of like this culmination of a significant effort um, that led to something truly amazing uh, that two years ago, I had no clue that that's what we were actually trying to work towards. Again, uh, a congratulations, great, Thank you. Uh, great example of a victory lap. But I just love the the whole story, and this is this is the most important part of it. Is you know something that started randomly two and a half years ago or whatever at a trade show, uh, a prosperous show being a, a great show, it led to you know successive conversations. And this is the whole point for everybody out there. You don't know where the next big you know incredible stroke of idea or luck or you know forward momentum is going to come from. And that's why it's important to engage in these concepts and relationships. Yeah, it's a tough thing. In marketing, you always want to have a return on investment, right? But then, but then ultimately, when you have a return on investment, how do you have a return on investment when like, what do I do? Go back and credit Prosper Show from two years ago for the sale? You know what I mean? Like, um, that's where I mean I take a leap of faith. Um, that's where I mean that like I put myself out there because I know that by, um, that by, entertaining people that by going to shows that by, I mean, I, in all honesty, I don't know if I would be on this podcast with you right now, if I hadn't seen you um, at the amazing show three months ago, I mean, you and I keep in touch, but I think physically seeing each other um, after not seeing each other or talking in a long time, probably brought me back to top of mind for you that said, Oh, you know what? I want to put Jeff on my list. And so that that's, it's hard to measure those things, but I, but I ultimately know that if I, if I think hard enough, um, everything has a cause and effect relationship. It does. It, it, these intangibles are in particular difficult to put into a CRM and, and track back, you know, yeah. specific ROIs. I'm with you hundred percent, but it is true that the cumulative effect, right? We, we may have first face to face met in Austin a couple of years back. Yep. And, and then, you know, probably here. That's probably there. actually where we did. That's probably actually where we did meet at that, at that show. Yeah. Yeah, and so there, there's just all of this little cumulative. We had lo- did we have lunch at that show? We did. Uh, you were that's right. I had, uh, Kat- I had lunch. Uh, Kate- Caitlin. Yep, that's right. Um, Caitlin or Catlin? Which way did she go? I call her Catlin. Catlin, right. Catlin, yeah. Catlin said to me, do you want me to get a bunch of sellers together 
to go out to lunch. And I was like, oh my God, that'll be awesome. And you were at that. See, look, you just drew it back. Yeah. So there you go. That, that was another one of those came to the came to the show had a lunch and look where it led to yeah again that's a, the same kind of thing so I'm a big relationship guy I feel the same kind of um, you know uh, I don't know I, I I always feel that there's a gravity that comes with relationships right and sometimes you're a little closer to the gravitational pull right that's when you're seeing each other at these various trade shows and other times a little farther away but the relationships continue and they exist uh, in their own way. And uh, I'm a big fan of it. So I, I think that's a great example. Yeah. Hey, thank, thanks for helping me remember that one. So. Yeah. See, there we go. I, yeah. I like to line up the dots. Um, so before we take a, another break and, and talk about the future, maybe um, you could share either a, a, an app or a tool or a gizmo that, that makes your life better. Maybe you can set the Seller Labs products aside and, and just yeah. share something that you think may be helpful to others out there. So tools that I'm in on a daily basis, um, I use Active Campaign for our email management. Um, I also use it for their CRM. Um, I, use, I use Zoom, which I know we're using for recording right now. It helps to have um, face-to-face conversations. Um, it, it works a little better than Skype. Um, we use uh, Slack a lot in our office. Mm-hmm. I'm probably a coin flip as to whether I think Slack is a time suck or a, or, or a, an advantage. There's definitely times that it is an advantage. I'm just, like you said, I'm a people person. So pick up the phone and just call me. Um, and the one that probably has saved me, like the, in all honesty, that sounds like super silly. The one that saved me the most time, I know you use this as well. I use a tool called Schedule Once. Um, I think you use Candle, Calendarly. Yeah, Calendly. Yep, that's right. Um, the amount of back and forth I have with people to try to set appointments was nauseating. Um, just the other day, I did it to see, and it was like five emails back and forth to get a meeting with somebody versus sending out a link and them clicking, making an appointment and being done. Um, so if you, if you have a lot of meetings or not, if you even, not even a lot of meetings, but if you realize you're doing a lot of back and forth with people to try to set up phone calls, um, using a tool like Calendarly or Schedule Once are um, phenomenal time savers. Um, so th- those, are, those are the tools I use kind of on a daily basis. I also, this is going to sound silly, I also love Google Photos. Hmm. I'm a huge Google Photos fan. So I have Google Photos. It's tied, to my, it's tied to my cell phone. Every one of my photos goes up there. And they do these really cool things where they make movies for me. They make animations. They make collages. Um, so, you know, it, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of a geek like that. I, I just think it's really cool. I do. Those, like are, those. those are the ones I use. Uh, so I, I definitely, uh, first of all, if we ask the CEO of Slack, if it's a time sucker, time uh, gain, uh, he would tell you unequivocally, it's going to change the world and e- email's going to die. But uh, <laughs> I, I tend to agree that uh, it could go either way uh, in practice. Uh, but uh, for anybody out there, if you ever set appointments with anybody kind of on a consistent basis, you know, regular appointments, phone calls, whatever, and not having one of these uh, tools, even Calendly, I don't know if the Schedule One offers it, but where there's a free option. And it's just the simplest thing in the world to just say, hey, just pick a time that works for you. Click the button and it'll be yeah. my calendar. It's done. I mean, it's literally like four or five emails back and forth with people to try to set an appointment. Um, and, it's, and it's kind of funny how many people say to me like, oh, my God, that's the best. I, I, where did you get that? I'm like, it's not hard. Look on the bottom. 
Isn't, isn't it crazy? I, right. I, I swear my fleet of attorneys and accountants and everybody like that, when I encourage them to use it, because they're like, hey, when can we get together? And right. by the way, I'm probably paying 500 bucks an hour to, to do this back and forth scheduling too. Uh, but they're, they're, they're a big fan of it as well. So uh, I love those, Jeff. Thank you for that. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then talk about the future. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. Catalyst 88 was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. A giddy up. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, here we are back again talking with Jeff Cohen from Seller uh, Labs, and uh, he's out in Chicago sporting his uh, Cardinals colors today. Yeah. What, what's the status of the team, may I ask? They're, they're, they're um, not doing great this year, but you know what? Um, we'll see. It, you know, baseball is such a tough sport. It's such a long – it's such a long – I mean, if you're really a baseball fan, you get it. It's a tough sport. It's a long season, and I honestly believe that baseball is – the success of your season, it all comes down to injuries. And if you get too many injuries compounding at the same time, your season just goes the wrong way. And they always try to blame it on managers, but it's like, that's the one thing the manager can't control. Um, but I just love it. I love the game. I'm going to be at my kid's baseball game tonight, coaching. Um, so, you know, I, I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. It's going to be 95 tonight oh. for, a, for a three hour baseball game. Giddy up. That'll be, uh, yeah. see, that's how, you know, a father loves his child because that's right. he's willing to suck up at the pain. Uh, so Jeff, let's talk about the future a little bit. And I, I always like to get people to just think ahead and prognosticate a bit about, you know, where will they be? Where will their company be? And maybe where will the internet be or Amazon be in five years? Uh, what, what do you care to lay on us? Yeah. Um, wow. Um, five years is like what? 25 Amazon years. Um, I think that, as I, I think that what's driving change is is um, is the millennials. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's not you. It's it's not your. It's not your our generation. It's not our parents' generation. It's the millennial generation that's driving change. Um, and if you look at that, that tells us you know. And then you look at countries like India, right, where they don't own desktop computers. I think that mobile is going to just become more and more. Um, critical to the overall success of, of everything that's being done. Um, I think there'll be holdouts that are still using PCs and, and, and desktop computers, but, but mobile is, is, is going to be hypercritical. Um, I think that, um, I don't think that retail, I think that, I think that retail is going to hit a point that, that stops and then it's going to come back. Um, the same thing happened in the book business, right? So if you actually look at the book business, the book business saw some significant declines. But if you look at the book business, the book business is actually um, on its way back up. Hmm. And the reason why is because the book business changed to how consumers are interested in participating with it, as opposed to trying to drive participation. And so as malls and strip malls and 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 such all begin to change with how with how consumer behaviors are changing, I believe that retail will come back up. I was I was with the um, I was with the CEO of Deathwish Coffee. I don't want to go into their story if you don't know it, but I would say look it up. It's a great one. I was with their CEO, and him and I were talking, and he looks at me and he goes, "Yeah, what do you think about us having a flagship store?" And I was like, "What?" 
Dude, you're like a multi-million dollar, like number one selling brand on Amazon. You just got your products into Walmart. Why do you want a store? And he goes, I just want to, I want a flagship store that people can, that, that people that love the brand can go into. He doesn't want a death wish coffee on every corner, right? He doesn't right. want to be Starbucks. He wants a flagship store that, that you say like, oh, I'm going to New York. I'm going to go check out the death wish store. Right. He, maybe he puts it in Soho or somewhere that kind of fits the vibe of what his business is. Um, and you see that with you, you see that with a lot of brands. And so I think that there's still going to be a need for touch and feel. That need for touch and feel just isn't going to exist the way that it did before. Um, it, you're not going to go into Macy's or, or Bloomingdale's and have massive department stores. You're going to go into these smaller stores. You're going to get that look and feel. You're going to connect with the brand, and then you're going to use the internet to, uh, to expand your connection with that brand. Um, and so as that starts to build out, the question is, how do digitally native brands, brands like Death Wish Coffee, enter the retail world? Um, and how do retail brands um, enter the digitally native world? And so I think grocery is going to change significantly uh, within the next five years. Amazon is, is, is pushing that. It, it's clear that um, pharmaceutical is going to change over the next five years um, as, as they start to get disrupted. Um, right. Transportation has already changed. Um, housing has already changed with Airbnb. Right. And so we're seeing these transformations that are occurring. But if you look at Airbnb, why did Airbnb change? Airbnb changed because they tapped into a group of people who were couch surfing and they turned it into um, a, a way for everybody to essentially couch surf, uh, but you get the whole house. And so that's, a, that's what I mean when I say the millennial generation or even the generation after the millennials is going to be driving what that change is over the next five years. And the one thing that I know is that that change is going to come 10x faster than it's coming today. Yeah, that speed is, uh, it, it just continues to accelerate. No question about that. And think about it. I graduated college in 2007. Mm -hmm, young. Right? So, so 30 years ago? Holy cow. 2007 is only 11 years ago. So let's. Uh, no, no, no. Wait, ni 97, 97. There you go. Oh, 97. Well, I'm 40. I'm 43. I'm not yeah. good at math. <laughs> Clearly, I graduated college, college really in 19, with you. 1997. <laughs> Internet dial up speed in 1997 was what? 56K? If you were, if you had a good computer? Yeah. If you were at the, at the, uh, height of technology you're probably running 56 right you're 24 8 or 56k and like think about where we're at today with internet speed and every time that we get new internet speed it doesn't just like double it like quadruples right so the next system that's coming out the 5g system and the and gigabytes in your house so it's like the speed at which everything's happening is just happening at, at such a rapid pace that um that five years is an eternity from now um, and you know, I think it'll be, I think it'll be great things. I think that all of these things are, are just make for, uh, make for better everything. They really do. You know, a lot of people, uh, you know, they're, they're naturally change resistance, but, uh, resistant. But when you start thinking about, you know, Blockbuster didn't die because Netflix, you know, somehow unfairly competed. Blockbuster died because it sucked, right? They charged crazy late fees and they, you know, you didn't rewind. And so we're going to beat you. We're going to beat you down. Well, and they didn't, and they didn't survive because as the market changed, they fought the change instead of, so look at the cab industry, 
the cab industry's response to Uber and Lyft is to try to get them banned. Yeah, regulation, regulation, regulation. Right. So, so what? What most? I don't know if you've realized this, but most of any anytime I get into an Uber now, um, especially in New York, they're all old cab drivers. Of course, yeah, they know where the wind's blowing. <laughs> right. So it's like you either sit there and resist the change, like Blockbuster, like the cab business, like, or or you embrace it, and that's what you're seeing in the in the grocery world, right? So the grocery world is embracing the change, which is why Kroger and um, Shop and Save, which you know are obviously they're national brands. If you guys didn't realize it, and then and then you have your own little brand at home that's part of the Kroger chain. Mm-hmm. They're adopting it with Click and Collect and 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 these other methodologies. But like I went to shop on Click and Collect uh, the other day at, at our local store, and um, I had to call the store. I'm like, Click and Collect doesn't work, and they go, Well, we we turn it off at eight o'clock. I was like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because people don't eat or shop after eight o'clock, Jeff. Come on. They're like, well, we we turn it off at eight because at um at 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 eight at, at eight o'clock we we you know our click and collect people leave. And I was like, I'm like, it's eight fifteen, and I want to order this for tomorrow morning. They're like, okay, great. Can you come back on at eight in the morning and order it? And I'm like, well, what? So like, there's still <laughs> the, my other great one is IKEA. I went on IKEA and I ordered a whole bunch of stuff, and they had the ability. For $5, they would pick it all for me and it would be waiting at the store. And if you've ever shopped at Ikea, $5 is so worth it. And I showed up and this was four days later. I scheduled it four days later. I showed up and they said, um, well, half the items you ordered weren't in stock. And I said, well, were you going to communicate that to me? And they're like, well, we don't have any way to communicate that to you. So we just have to wait for you to show up to tell you. And I'm like, wow, like what a horrible experience. So like if you're going to make the the change and you're going to try to provide customers with something that's better than what they have now, you got to do it right. Because if you do it wrong, you, 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 you make it that much harder to do it right in the future. Well, it is so true. And this is we're watching these lessons play out across so many industries, right? But the, the grocery and the music industry and the taxis and the, the hotels and this and that. But the reality is all of those guys who are staying static, to your point earlier, you got to keep moving, continuous improvement. They're the ones who are in jeopardy. They're the ones who are yep. susceptible to losing everything. And it is not- yeah, They're a, the ones to go disrupt if you want to be a disruptor. Yeah. And again, technology itself is not the disruptor. It's the being customer-centric that, can, that wins the day, right? Absolutely. And so, you know, uh, there's so many opportunities there. And, and this will continue to play on. I, I de- definitely agree with you. We used to have a saying in uh, a couple of our companies that, you know, days are weeks, weeks are months, months are years, and years are decades on the yep. internet world. And that uh, absolutely is true today. So uh, Jeff, as we wrap up, uh, maybe you could give us a, a hint. How do we find, uh, how do we find your businesses online now? What, what's the best way to look you up? Yeah. So I love to tell people to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, that's a great way to connect with me personally. If you go to LinkedIn and type in Jeff Cohen, Amazon, I, I, I show up. Um, I also tell you that uh, seller labs um, has a LinkedIn page, a Twitter page, a Facebook page, um, and sellerlabs.com. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the, those are the best ways to, uh, to find us. We can create a special landing page for people from your show. Um, if you want, we can go to uh, sellerlabs.com slash awesomer and, uh, and we'll have some additional information, um, about our business and maybe a special deal. Um, I don't know if you sure. didn't ask for one, so I don't know if you, if you've been offering them, but we'd be happy to set up kind of a trial of the software, special deal for people that listen to the show that want to check out the software. And, you know, 
ultimately for me, it's about like, give me some feedback, like come on LinkedIn, connect with me in some way. Tell me that you heard the show. Tell me if you liked it. Tell me if I told you just something that um, enriched your life in any way. Um, tell me that I'm a total fraud and you think that, uh, you know, I should be talking about something different. Um, that's how I get better is, is from your feedback and, and would love to hear it. Excellent. Well, we'll definitely get some of those in the show notes. And uh, the awesomers out there, you, you don't know this yet, Jeff, but I don't do any kind of direct deals or any kind of uh, things, although we love to see offers for the, uh, the awesomers out there. Uh, we, we let all of that stuff kind of run through the Empower e-commerce cooperative. So any, any deals that may exist there will be uh, shepherded through uh, the system to make sure the awesomers get access. But uh, we love what you're doing. We think that Seller Labs is a great company. I've had personally uh, great experiences with it. And uh, I'm, I'm definitely somebody who, who thinks a lot of your outfit. So kudos to you guys and, and the whole team. You guys have a lot of people, right? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, at, we're at over 50 employees. So thanks, Steve. I appreciate you having me on and, and, and hope that um, you know, we were able to deliver some good, valuable nuggets for your audience today. Without a doubt. Uh, and for Osmers Listen at Home, we will be right back. Hey, Amazon Marketplace professionals, congratulations on your success today. Your creativity, strategic vision, problem solving, and discipline have allowed you to build your own e-commerce business. Wouldn't it be great if you had more time to focus on the things that truly drive the sales and growth of your company? Instead of getting lost in a dozen different services and countless spreadsheets, what if there was one system that connected to your Amazon account and automatically gave you the information that you needed to make great decisions and really impact your business? Parsimony ERP can do that. Parsimony is the business operating system for your marketplace business. With Parsimony, you get true double entry bookkeeping, easy financial statements, full customer service tools, and item by item profitability, along with project and task management, and more features are being added all the time. Learn more at parsimony.com. That's parsimony, P-A-R-S-I-M-O-N-Y.com. Parsimony.com. We've got that. Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of the Awesomers Podcast ready for the world. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you could even leave a, a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guests, team, and all the other Osmers involved at awesomers.com. Thank you again. Gosh, I am so thrilled by uh, seeing another origin story and learning more about Jeff and kind of his path to becoming an Osmer. And as always, it's, it's gratifying to watch the journey of Osmers because they influence so many others. They help and enable others as just part of a, a byproduct of being Osmer. And that's, that's really one of the philosophies that we share is that, you know, you can actually, uh, well, actually we use the, the Zig Ziglar saying, which is you can have everything you want in your life if you will help enough other people get what they want in their life. And in my opinion, Jeff and the whole team at Seller Labs lives up to this uh, every day of the week. Now be sure you take a minute and go to theawesomers.com slash 11 so you can see the show notes and you can see the special links to get you access to some of the Seller Labs products at a insider price, right? As always, I don't do any personal affiliate programs, but the affiliate programs or any partnership programs that are presented on Osmer's podcast are for the benefit of the Empowery nonprofit member-owned cooperative. All the work that we're doing here at Osmer's is to benefit that cooperative uh, and, of course, our other sponsors like Parsimony.com, 
uh, simoglobal.com and catalyst88.com. All of these efforts are dedicated to empowering the lives of entrepreneurs around the world.